Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to, to the Going Going Gooner podcast. We ain't apologizing for nothing today. The, the plain and simple truth is that we suck. So clearly, Alvin listened to the episodes. No, he did. I have no doubt. What makes you think more instability is what this club needs right now? Most likely will make one of the best Netflix documentaries since Firefest. The Going Going Gooner podcast is brought to you by your party station Z89. Welcome back to the Going Going Gooner podcast. I'm your host Arjun. Usually we'd have my co-host Kyle alongside me, but scheduling conflicts have made that difficult for this week. But stay tuned. We've got some very very special guests on to fill Kyle's space today. But before we get started, uh just a special thank you. It's been 2 years now since we've started the Going Going Gooner podcast. Um, and we're commemorating it with a really special episode today, a World Cup preview. But we'd just like to thank uh, everyone for sticking with us for two years, and we hope that we have many more talking Arsenal and the world of soccer and Saints and the world of football. So, and also before we get started, be sure to follow us on Twitter at ggoonerpod if that app still exists when this episode is uploaded. But without any further ado, let's get right into it. We've got two very special guests today for our World Cup preview. I'm joined by Jared Johnston and Phil Galati. Uh, Jared, Phil, introduce yourselves. Yeah, um, we're both students at Syracuse. We do a lot of different soccer stuff, um, notably for the ACC men's and women's games here. The teams are good this year, which has been great. Um, but I've also been able to do USL League One. I don't think any of those guys are going to the World Cup. But, um, you know, they get quick shouts to different places like the Faroe Islands and stuff like that, all those random places. But uh, it's exciting to watch some uh, higher, higher level soccer, not to diss any of those guys there. But um, it's fun to talk about the World Cup because it's the best time every four years when it turns around. It is the best time every four years, or in this case, like three and a half, right? Because technically yeah. we're in the winter. Whatever. It's great. Really excited to get into it. Um, and happy to be on the podcast, and congrats on the anniversary. Thank you, Phil. And it's the first time we're having either of y'all on the podcast, so very excited um, to have you both on for a very big World Cup preview. So how we're going to do it, we're going to go through each group, each team in each group, uh, we'll have just a little bit of research done for each team, and then we're going to say who we think is going to move on uh, out of each group. And then in the knockout phases, uh, we are going to talk about who we think is going to go very, very far in this 2022 World Cup. So obviously, naturally, we are going to start in Group A, the group with the host Qatar, alongside South American team Ecuador, uh, African Giants, Senegal, and consider the favorites for this group, the Netherlands. And I think we're going to start with the hosts, Qatar. And of course, this is Qatar's first World Cup. And, you know, playing on home field advantage has its perks. But really, you know, this team probably is going to go very far. Most of the players are from one team in the Qatar Premier Division uh, that currently sits ninth out of 12. You know, they had some interesting results Coming into this window, beating Uruguay, tying Senegal, but really, I I don't see them making top two, and I, I think a lot of people will probably agree with me on that one. 
and on Qatar, obviously their first uh, their first World Cup and the first team ever to ho- to be in their first World Cup on virtue of hosting it. So Qatar, a very very uncharted territory for them, as is this entire World Cup generally. We'll move on to Ecuador, um, where where Jared has a little bit of info on them. Yeah, it's a team that isn't one of the biggest South American teams, but I think has some players. Do I see them getting out of the group? Absolutely not. I mean, the only player that really rings a bell for people is with Brighton. Um, obviously, Graham Potter's gone, but players are still there. And Moises Casado rotates in, played in the midfield. Of course, he's with the squad there in the World Cup. But other than that, there's a lot of players that are in the South American leagues staying in their home country as well. So I think there's potential for any of the teams in the group, really, because there's strengths and weaknesses for this Group A. But Ecuador, if anything, it doesn't really have star power up front or anywhere. It just has to be a team collective effort. So, I mean, I don't think they have enough firepower to get out of the group, but have some good players to shout out. So we'll move on to Senegal now. Um, Big news out of Senegal today. Sadio Mane, their star player, one of the best footballers in the world, is uh, out for this World Cup due to injury. He was named in the squad, but his status was up in the air until today. So Senegal's success um, is not entirely hinged on Mane, but he certainly uh, brings them to another level. They've got talent all over the pitch, though. Chelsea duo Khalidou Koulibaly and Edouard Mendy. Chelsea fan Phil, very familiar with both of those guys. And um, a guy I'd like to shout out, Ismail Sar, who is going to be Mane's replacement, essentially. Sar lit up the Premier League last season, had some really great performances with Watford, who got relegated to the championship. Sar didn't earn himself a Premier League move. But he's going to be that attacking threat in a very speedy and very high-pressing attack. Um Behind that attack is a very stout midfield as well, and obviously we've talked about the defense, Mendy and Koulibaly, two of the bigger names in that defense and in goal uh, that will certainly help them, um, propel them probably to the knockout stages. And now moving on, finally in this group, the favorites, the Netherlands. Um, Louis van Gaal, the manager, obviously former United manager, has been with the Netherlands for a fair bit of time. Uh, hinges on the, this back three, Virgil van Dijk, Nathan Ake, and Matisse Delight of Juventus. They actually have wingback talent, which is hard to come by in international play. Um, they've got um, Steven Bergwijn, who can play as a wingback, but uh, namely Daly Blint on the left um, serves as sort of a defensive-minded wingback as well. It's not the weakness of the side, I'd say the weakness of the Netherlands is definitely in goal. Um, the days of Van der Sar, Stecklenburg, Sillison, those are gone. The three goalies for the Netherlands that they've called up have a combined eight caps for their country. So it's going to be interesting to see how they perform in goal. But um, up top, they've got Memphis Depay and rising star Cody Gakpo, who you should expect to see in the Premier League very, very soon. Um, and... It's a really fluid tactical setup, and with talent all over the pitch and De Jong pulling the strings, I think Netherlands are up there for a team that are going to be really, really fun to watch, not just a team on the pitch that could provide some good results. So those are the four teams in the group. Um, We'll go to you guys if you have any thoughts on any of those four teams and who you think 
is finishing first and second in this group. We'll start with Jared. I think having given my thoughts on Ecuador, I wouldn't be surprised to see Qatar give a good shout out and say, I mean, I think they could get to third just by frustrating teams. I mean, we saw it in the Gold Cup and competitions they had to play. We mentioned the likelihood of the fact that this is the first time that they've been able to qualify, of course, because they're the host country and they don't even have domestic competitions. That's how the game is in the Middle East still, at least in their region. So, I mean, they were playing against the United States, other South American countries and took them to one nil scores and then they'll draws and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them surprise teams, but not get out of the group. Meanwhile, I think Senegal's defense, despite the offensive woes that may come with not having Sadio Mane, I think they could surprise people. I don't think that this Netherlands team has enough oomph to really carry itself out of the group just by virtue of being the Netherlands and really the talent it has. I think it's a little bit top heavy as far as where they fall positionally. And maybe so, but the thing with the Netherlands that's striking to me that's not a theme at this World Cup at all is they have so much defensive strength and so much depth defensively. I think it's going to carry them to the top of the group. And with a better goalkeeper, they could probably win a quarterfinal, maybe a semifinal, honestly. With a with a more prolific striker and maybe a, a bigger name in net, they could go as far as the final. But that that cohort they have on defense is going to take them top of the group. But I don't think they'll get much farther than that. I'm similarly at, uh, high on the Netherlands like you are, Phil. I think they've got a really, really underrated squad. I wouldn't call them a dark horse because people know the Netherlands. They know that they're a strong team. Yep. But... There is so much talent on this team, and in the midfield, too, um, with Frankie de Jong as well. I, I, I really love Frankie de Jong. Um, you're going to see Chavi Simons maybe get some game time as well. No caps for the Netherlands either, but he's a 19-year-old wonder kid out of PSV. Um, played a little bit for PSG um, before he made his move there, but I think the Netherlands are a very strong team. Senegal obviously have taken a step back with, with Mane out, but I think they finish... I'll call it uncomfortably second in the group. I think Ecuador could end up giving them a run for their money if if things fall the way Ecuador Ecuador wants them to. But I think Senegal, like we said, the talent uh, in that squad is just really strong. I think Netherlands, especially with Senegal, that matchup is obviously going to be huge. Senegal versus the Netherlands is um, on November 21st, 11 Eastern. So that's going to be the biggest match of the group by far. If Senegal can get a result there, they're in the running for top of the group where they may not have thought they would be in that position um, just today with with their best player out. So I have Netherlands finishing first, Senegal second. Um, I did say Ecuador could give um, Senegal a run if the chips fall right, but I've got Qatar actually finishing third. Like Jared said, I think Qatar could give Ecuador a run for its money in um, in the first match of the tournament and give themselves a little hope before the better two teams uh, really strike them down. So that'll round out our discussion on Group A, and now we're into a really, really interesting group, <laughs> Group B. I think we can spend a little more time on Group B just because there's so much to say here. There's so much to speculate on, um, and that's because the United <laughs> States is in this group. Um, 
Uh, I will be rooting for the U.S. in, in this World Cup until As they get knocked be. out. As you um, should be. But I've got the, alongside the United States in this group is Wales, Iran, and uh, powerhouses England. So we'll go we'll go team by team, and I'll actually start with England. So um, it it's incredibly difficult where to start with this England team because on paper this could be the best international side in the world. I think if not the best, I think top three. They have so much talent all over the pitch um, that maybe if Harry Maguire is not performing in the Premier League, he's going to put in a shift for England. And and he's he's almost undroppable in this England team. Um, but all of the conversation around England centers now around Gareth Southgate because of his managerial tactics, how pragmatic he, he seems to be in terms of his tactics, um, how reliant he is on that midfield in, in ball retention. Um, there's so much to talk about. They they consistently fail to control games is, is the biggest issue with England. They rank 10th in the Euros in average possession and 9th in the World Cup. For a team that has so much talent all over the pitch, you need to be doing better than that. The midfield is definitely something to watch. I expect Declan Rice to be starting every single game. He's England's best midfielder, in my opinion. But if Calvin Phillips isn't starting, then you're leaving Rice on an island. Um, because if Phillips isn't starting, then it's either Bellingham or it's James Madison, who made his way uh, into the team on pure form. So if they had a better manager with better instincts, I would say England are comfortably the favorites to win this tournament. But Gareth Southgate will make things a little bit interesting. As for the group, I expect England to top the group fairly comfortably. But uh, as for the World Cup as a whole, we'll, we'll find out where they go in the knockouts. So that's my analysis on England. I'm sure you guys have thoughts on England. If you want to chime in, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I look at it and I agree with some things you said, Arjun, but I also disagree with some things as well. Personally, I think Harry Maguire is one of the most overrated center backs in the Premier League. I think he I, I I think he's I think he's bad. I think Ben White should be on the team sheet first, but but Maguire <laughs> I think is I think I think Maguire is is just so important to this England team. Just England specifically, just just the core of the I, team. I don't see where the leadership comes in for him at all in a guy that has been a perennial failure in his time at Manchester <laughs> United. Also a person that can't even run or jump in the air. Personally, I just think he's a big fridge that needs to be benched <laughs> because if you look at the England roster, I mean, play, play Ben White, right? Play yep. Connor Cody if you want to. Play someone that can move at least, right? Connor if you're going to play the back three, I don't think that you need to have him as an anchor, personally. I don't think Maguire is that reliable. You have John Stones. You can play Kieran Trippier. You can play Eric Dyer. You can play Kyle Walker as a right-sided center back if you really wanted to because he has done that for Manchester City. And so I think there's more solutions for this defense. But as you mentioned, with uh, the trench coat manager that is uh, Gareth Southgate, no one really knows what's going through his mind except mm -hmm. himself, of course. And he makes a lot of wild decisions. Where I beg to differ, but in a positive light, is the midfield. I think Jude Bellingham is the most talented midfielder of his generation. And I think he will start. And I think he should start. The way that he's shown his maturity in the Borussia Dortmund midfield in the Champions League cycles for the past two seasons has been immensely overshadowed and underrated. I mean, 
they went to the quarters against Manchester City, and he's the guy putting in the shift and scoring goals. Like, his fee from Birmingham City, obviously, people remember, saved the club from bankruptcy, but also showed how much of a talent he is that he was just plugged and placed into one of Europe's best teams and is already the captain of the team at just 19 years old. People talk about Declan Rice being such a young leader for West Ham. Jude Bellingham is that and more. So England has plenty of people to choose from in the midfield as well. And don't be surprised if Jude Bellingham is in the lineup because he's going to carry the squad. I absolutely believe that. I think he's very under the radar, despite the fact that he's been getting regular game time. I feel like he's been immensely underrated, in my personal opinion. And I think that would help England to a strong start at the top of the group, as we both mentioned. I, I totally agree on Bellingham. But the thing is that in that system, that if you're going to play the 3-4-3 with two, two midfielders, Rice at the base, um, like I said, leaves him on an island a little bit. I think playing Bellingham would be the right decision, but you they have to account for um, maybe not having the numbers in transition that they want because uh, the wingbacks are likely going to be Trippier and Shaw, and they love to get forward. And um, England could very much get caught out in transition against a team that can absorb pressure a little better, um, which I think is what Wales um, are. That I think they're... They're a team that absorb pressure really well and then hit you on the counter. So I think um, the Wales-England game is going to be really telling in this group. Um, but I, I think England, also one of the more fun teams to watch in this tournament because they just have so much talent um, everywhere on this pitch. Uh, let's move from England and let's go into the team we just were mentioning, Wales. Uh, Jared, you've got a little bit on them. Yeah, I mean... People remember Wales from the Euros run as well, um, and they still have basically most of the faces that have propelled them to really where they shouldn't be at all. I mean, it's a Wales team where most of these players are born in England or playing from different places, and they just play in Wales just because they can't make the English squad. I mean, that happens a whole lot of the time, but we've seen that over time, obviously, with Gareth Bale and other players. Uh, this is a team that can't be overshadowed at all. I mean, Aaron Ramsey plays in the midfield, and he's just an all-right player. I mean, he's been in and out of lineups for years. Obviously, you remember him at Arsenal years yep. ago. But Joe Allen plays in the midfield. I mean, Harry Wilson is also kind of an underrated guy that's going to slot in, who's played his shifts in the championship and other places. I think this is a team that is sneakily, sneakily, like you said, frustrating, and we'll get second place in the group because I firmly believe and I'm rooting against the United States because the United States will not make it out of this group. And wow. I'll say it, and wow. I've said it for months. I've said it since the Gold Cup that the United States is not going to do well in this World Cup. And when the group came out, I don't think they're making it out of the group stages because I think this Wales team has enough to sit back and hit you on the counter. Okay, I think that's a good transition. I'll, I'll talk a little about the U.S., and then I think Phil Phil yeah. wants to chime in about, about what Jared just said, too. So the United States are the youngest squad at this year's World Cup. It's by a lot, too, by almost two years in average age. I think there's a lot to like about this United States team. Um, expect a 4-3-3, um, with the most important part of this team being the midfield, Adams, McKenney, and Musa. Um 
a very underrated midfield. Obviously, all those all those guys play in Europe. All those guys get regular game time in Europe, and all those guys are in form in Europe. Tyler Adams has been one of the most underrated midfielders in the Premier League this season for Leeds. He has been outstanding. Uh, Yunus Musa is also in form. Um, where the U.S. lacks is the center back partnership, 100%, and the defensive ability of the fullbacks. Um, I think Dest and Robinson are very talented players, but I think they might lack a little bit in defensive ability. Obviously, wingbacks are going to be the weakness of most of the teams we talk about today. Coming, Getting good wingbacks is nearly impossible, um, which is why it's also inexplicable that Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't get his shot in this England team. Um, the, the center backs for the United States really have been hurt by Miles Robinson tearing his Achilles because I think he, I mean, shout out Syracuse, because I, I think he is, he's, the best he was one. so, he, absolutely, he was the best center back in the Gold Cup, uh, helped us to a victory, and now we have a choice between three of Tim Ream, Walker Zimmerman, and Aaron Long. Um, oh. so... Those names don't inspire confidence in me. I think Tim Ream is a solid player that has a lot of experience. Tim Ream is um, old. But Tim he's, is yeah, 57 but, years old. I mean, but, that but guy he's needs old. to retire. Exactly. He is old. Um, but I think also in this front three for the United States, there's a lot of options. Pulisic, Ferreira, Aronson, Gio Reyna, uh, Tim Weah. Obviously, Pulisic will get the start. He will likely captain the team. Um, but Tyler Adams, I think, said today that they have no idea who's going to captain the team, which gets me to my final point on why I think this United States team may be doomed. Uh, Greg Berhalter. Um, I have I've been wanting him out of this role for a very long time. The amount of talent that this team has that Berhalter has not taken advantage of is criminal. And this is the youngest team in the World Cup, I think. Maybe by the time we get to 2026 at home, this team will have developed enough to challenge for a deep run. The development isn't there yet, but it definitely could have been much better if uh, Greg Berhalter was not the manager. I th- Wales scare me, obviously. They concern me. The only hope that we have is, is if the United States don't get a result against Wales is that England just absolutely drub them. But I have hope in this United States team uh, where Jared does not. Um, and I think I'm going to let Phil chime in on his thoughts on this U.S. team. I just I want to have hope. I really do. But with no Miles Robinson and no Mark McKenzie, by the way, who is my second choice center back. Granted, I think Walker Zimmerman has proven himself plenty of times. I think Aaron Log needs to get a friggin haircut. But it's just like <laughs> it's. Ah, it's frustrating with this team and this manager because the the, the thing that they're going to have a tough time is England is going to play gritty. Iran plays a very ugly sort of style, very just almost like bullying almost on the pitch. And the U.S. has had problems against that kind of style of play. And it, it, it sometimes it just kind of feels directionless with this squad. You mentioned it. There's so much potential. And we're seeing so many different young players. Pepe's tearing it up in the Eredivisie. Paxson Aronson just signed for Eintracht Frankfurt. I mean, this team, for me, I've been telling everybody since maybe 2020 that 2026 
and maybe 2030, this team is a serious Final Four contender. But this year, yeah, I want them to make it out of the group stage. But it's somebody's somebody's got to step up, and it can't be Pulisic because people are just going to hack him down the whole time. That's the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go after his ACL. So you, Plus somebody the, the... else has got to step up in midfield. Adams, Aronson, McKenney, they all have potential. If they can keep their heads cool, that's the big thing with McKenney, especially for me, is he's very quick to agitation. If they can keep a level head, maybe this team finishes second. Maybe. Yeah. In, maybe. in, that, front, in that front three, especially, I see Pulisic, who hasn't been getting much game time for Chelsea. Um, you know this, obviously, Phil. Um, Aronson, oh. who, who we don't know if it's going to be Aronson, Reyna, or Wea that starts day one. Right. There's a lot of options there. I would personally go with Brendan Aronson. I think he's uh, one of the brightest talents in this in this side, and he has been outstanding for Leeds under Jesse Marsh. Um, but the thing is, Marsh plays a much more aggressive pressing style than mm-hmm. Baralter does. Aronson shines in that system, not so much for the United States. So we'll see who Baralter goes with. I think that'll have a big uh, big effect. If not, those guys coming off the bench are going to be huge. There's five substitutions at this World Cup, first time ever. Uh, Gio Reyna is definitely going to be a factor if he's not in the starting 11 off the bench. I, I think he he will have um, a, a big impact. And, and Haji Wright is the big one for me because people mm-hmm. have been clamoring for him. I don't think he's proven himself enough at the international level. I would have liked him to get more of a shot, you know, before he gets on the plane to Doha. But it's neither here nor there. He could seriously turn some heads if he shows up to play, and he could be a very key asset to this team off the bench if he's as good as Greg thinks he is. Yeah, and a guy I'm... If you get to the root of the problem is what we've seen in past competitions is even if the United States has players that can affect games, it's all up to Triple G to actually put them into the game. I mean, in the Gold Cup... Tim Weah was subbed on as a right wing back. So there's plenty of substitutions we've seen over and over and over again that make no sense at all in games where the United States is still tied at nil against a Qatar or still one nothing up and they're parking the bus against a team you should be slapping 3-0. And the biggest problem lies in that. I don't think there's a debate, obviously, as to all these players that can factor in. I just think the system is not going to prevail. I mean, there is no system. I mean, this guy coached Columbus crew. Whoopee. We're going to be inspired by a guy that's an MLS coach. Very okay one at that. That's my opinion on it. And that's why, like you said, should have been gone a long time ago. So we'll go with our predictions. Obviously, Jared has said that he thinks Wales is going to come second. (laughs) England are going to come first. Phil, we never really got your official. If you think the United States are going to make the knockout stages. Uh, I want to say yes. I really, really do. Um, I just don't know. I just don't. I'm going to have to say yes. I think Iran could surprise people because they just, they they will sit back and just eat away the soul of teams and could really surprise on the counterattack. But I'll say for the sake of my heart, I'll say U.S. second behind England. I schemed out all my predictions. I predicted every single game in the World Cup. And just going game by game, I have the U.S. finishing second. I have um, England beating Iran, obviously. I have England um, 
winning every game in this group. Right. Um, yeah. But I have the United States beating Iran um, and getting a result, a big result. It's going to be the biggest game of the group for the U.S. The, the game against England is going to be the most hyped, but the game against Wales is going to be quantifiably bigger. That one is November 21st, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. I have the United States winning that game. I think that what the U.S. has in midfield certainly outperforms what Wales have there. And if the U.S. can control the game and keep their heads, like you said, Phil, in defense on the counter, I think the U.S. will have enough um, to make it out of this group. But obviously, like Jared was saying, I would not be surprised at all if we didn't, um, just because of all of the flaws that we've highlighted. But the thing with this with this team is that they could absolutely go through a purple patch um, in the month that they're in Qatar. Uh, so that'll round out Group B. Um, undoubtedly, the most interesting group for us, but there are some some great ones coming up. So we'll we'll start with Group. We'll we'll go to Group C. And um, let's start with uh, the U.S.'s biggest rivals, Mexico. I I feel like that's the discussion of this group is I feel like pretty much everybody's on the same page. Argentina's first seed, boom. Saudi Arabia probably going to be last. So we'll knock those out and just focus on Poland and Mexico because I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough question. Poland – I think can surprise a lot of people. Of course, everybody's quick to look at their attack, but you know, I I think they have a couple players who really could surprise. They have a lot more European experience in this team than I think a lot of people realize, uh, and they have a lot of depth up top too. I mean, of course with Lewandowski, but with Milik, uh, with Swiderski, who played a fantastic season in MLS. Mexico, I just, I, it's an aging team. Of course, Guillermo Ochoa turns into Lev Yashin every four years, and that's <laughs> always a factor. But I, I don't know. This is, this is a team that's decent, but I think Poland plays in a style that really could catch them out and just surprise them and take second. I really don't yeah. want to see Mexico be second. I'm not going to lie. What do you think about um, Poland, Jared? I know you um, talked about them. Yeah, I agree with Phil, and I like Poland. I mean, I've always liked Poland. Obviously, we know Lewandowski is there, and he's always been there. But also, Wojciechowski has always been there as well. I mean, what's the biggest thing we've talked about with teams that have been able to impress with their players in front of goal, but if you don't have a really stabilizing figure and in your 18-yard box, it makes it quite difficult. So Chesney's been there for years, and he's the guy. I think what's interesting to look at is some of the guys with Premier League experience as well that's kind of overshadowed. With Poland, people just think of Chesney and Lewandowski, but Matty Cash uh, pulled out his uh, Polish eligibility. Um, <laughs> I believe it was on his mother's side. I'm not – I got to double-check yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, I think but, it is. I think it's his mom's yeah. side switched allegiances uh, from England to Poland. So you get a really dynamic outside back there. And they also have Jan Benderek, who played for Southampton for a little while as well. And so there's plenty of players that have played at high levels. I mean, Peter Zielinski, who's been at Napoli for ever since I played FIFA. So <laughs> there are plenty of players that are going to do really well. And meanwhile, if you ask anyone in Mexico, 
I mean, people that look at it realistically, especially after the Gold Cup, you see an aging core. You see players in their last World Cup cycle and not many young players to step up. I mean, the opposite of what the U.S. has seen after not making the World Cup in the last cycle. So Poland, I mean, little doubts there um, because they have a lot of individual players that can do damage. Um, It's a matter of them playing a frustrating, cohesive form of football as they always have done. If they can just stay in their compact block and then attack. I mean, they have Christoph Piatek off the bench, too, who had that one great season with Genoa before his move to Milan. So they're, I'm not surprised if they get second. They could totally get second. I think it's very doubtful for Mexico because of the superstar power that they kind of have sprinkled across the lineup. And I researched Argentina and Saudi Arabia for this, but as Phil was saying, those are probably the consensus to finish first and fourth in this group. Um, we'll get more into Argentina as we get into the knockouts, but just what you guys were saying with Poland and Mexico, that game, the Mexico-Poland game is going to be massive. Uh, that one's on November 22nd, 11 a.m. Eastern. That's going to be a huge game, and Poland have the upper hand tactically. Absolutely. Because they have the star power up top in Lewandowski. They have a solid midfield, like you said, with Zelensky. And the thing with Mexico is that not only do I not really like their squad, they are horrendous at defending the counter. They are very, very, very bad at it. And Poland are really, really good at counterattacking. They absorb a lot of pressure and will catch you on the counter because they have a guy named Robert Lewandowski up top that can finish those off. He's a target man. He's a poacher. He's great with the ball at his feet. He's very underrated with the ball at his feet is Lewandowski. Um, He's done it at the highest level for years and years and years. I think this is the year that Poland finally make their breakthrough in international tournaments and make it to the knockouts because the Mexico-Poland game is going to be so big. And because everything else, I I think... We're expecting Mexico and Poland to both get results against Saudi Arabia. We're not really expecting Mexico or Poland to get results against Argentina. So it's really up to the game between them. And I think Poland individually may not have a better team than Mexico, but upper hand tactically, I think they'll take that win. And I think they'll take second in the group and knock Mexico out. Um, Usually a World Cup is marked by a Mexico round of 16 exit, but I don't think they're going to make it this time. So that'll round out our discussion on Group C. And Group D, another group that seems pretty straightforward. Um, It's France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. I think this is by far the easiest group to call, but I would like to highlight Denmark. Um, I know we're going to get to them in the knockouts, um, but I think one thing to highlight with Denmark is that they made it to the semifinals without, number one, their best player, who had a heart attack on a field, and they made it to the semis in the Euros. Um, This is a team that has a potential to make a lot of noise, but if they don't win their group, they're likely going to play Argentina in the knockouts. So that creates probably the best round of 16 matchup, um, and it it really changes the complexion of of both of those teams um, for for Denmark. Um, I'll, I'll toss it over to Jared to talk about France a little bit, because They are obviously the current holders of the World Cup, but there's a lot of storylines on that France team. Yeah, and there's also obviously a lot of speculation that follows from teams that win the World Cup. Oftentimes, you're not really seeing a repeat 
team. And with that, I mean, France has just always had star power, and they just keep churning out players. I mean, you think about the defensive core that they have, and you have so many center backs that Americ Laporte flips to Spain to play international football. I mean, Dio Upamecano is playing with the team, or at least is on the roster and could factor in. I mean, there's so many other players that are just super interesting to watch. I think the key thing, though, that you look at and that you think about, like you mentioned with some of the little shakeups for France, is no Pogba, no Conte, and a super, super young midfield. But when you think about the young players that are in that, like Camavinga, among others, I mean, they're playing at the highest level. You're playing at Real Madrid. You're playing with Juventus if you're Adrian Rabio, despite the fact that you're kind of just an okay run-of-the-mill player. But there are some older guys that aren't really as touted as maybe a Guendouzi has had hype throughout his career as well. So that's the big question mark, really, um, because Benzema back in the World Cup squad, Mbappe obviously up top, Giroud still tagging along as well. Um, that midfield is a huge question mark. It's not a question mark in the group stages. It's a question mark in the knockouts. So that's France, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. I know Phil researched a little bit about Tunisia, um, but I, I think I think it's going to be easy to to figure out who the two are moving on in this group. But I want to know: Do any of you have Denmark finishing above France in this group? I would not. Why? Well, I mean, the I gut reaction is no, right? You're like, come on, it's France for crying out loud. But you know, Jared touched on some injuries that are huge. Plus, Kimpembe, Magnon, and Kunku. I mean, there's a lot of big names that are not going to be there. Plus, surprise, nobody's touched on it yet. The winner's curse is still a thing, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, it's Argentina, Tunisia, Denmark. There's no way. There's no way. But, you know, it's 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 not a curse for no reason. So, it, I think the first game for them, I forget who it is off the top of my head. It's going to be big. To set the tone. Their their first game is against Australia. Right. So they're, you know, Australia maybe has a shot to finish second, probably not to win. But if they can come out swinging and set the tempo early, then I'm sure they'll be fine. But if they struggle in that game, it's going to be a lot of questions for that team. I still think they'll finish first. They just might have a little bit more trouble than maybe they had in 2018. I think another thing that's different, too, is... Benzema back in the squad. I mean, you think back to them in 2014 when they struggled. Didier Deschamps is playing an entirely different system when you incorporate a Kareem Benzema running through him versus a guy like Giroud that doesn't really have pace, or maybe even when you're playing with Griezmann, who isn't the paciest guy either, but still finds a way to frustrate teams. Even just the fact that Benzema is running the attack is going to be an entirely different look, and I think could allow France to struggle because you think of the last time when they had Valbuena and a bunch of other players, Gignac and Benzema, all in that 2014 run. I mean, they didn't do anything. In fact, they struggled immensely. And and the Euros as well. That that France, uh, I thought France were the clear favorites because Pogba and Conte always show up for France. Pogba was arguably the best player in the Euros until they got knocked out by Switzerland. But Benzema was playing in the Euros, and and Benzema had his role in that team, but still they got knocked out by by a team that just punched them in the mouth. Um, and obviously, 
we haven't even touched on it. I mean, maybe the best player in the world plays for France. Um, not just Benzema, but they've got Kylian Mbappe as well, who was the golden boy in 2018, scored one of the youngest goal scorers in a World Cup final. He's going to be essential to their run as well. I've also got France finishing ahead of Denmark, but I think that France-Denmark game is going to be a lot of fun. I have it as a 2-2 draw um, because those teams are very up and down. It's going to be a really open game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, quick note on Australia before we move on. That's a team that relies on physicality and a low block. France and Denmark are both teams that are extremely well set up to play against low blocks, um, which is what Australia and Tunisia are going to have to do. Those aren't teams that control the football. So I think um, it, it's a it's a straightforward path for the French and the Danes. So we'll go to Group E. I think this is a very, very interesting group. Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan. Um, this group is interesting because it's got Spain and Germany in it, but I think they've got a very underlooked team in Japan. So I'll start out with Japan. They continue to dominate Asia. Uh, they They completely sweep qualifying in Asia every time. They, they're always in the World Cup. But they've got a lot of European talent in this team. Uh, Daichi Kamada shined for Frankfurt in their um, in their Europa League uh, triumph last season. Arsenal defender Takahiro Tomiyasu, who is a brick wall uh, in defense, but also provides um, stuff going forward. He tends to play center back for Japan, where he plays on the wing back for, for the Gunners. And obviously Takumi Minamino, a player who isn't really on form, um, not at Liverpool anymore, obviously, but uh, a guy that can get you goals at any time. I did want to highlight Japan because the U.S. had a lot of trouble against this Japanese style of play, which is high pressing and very strong in transition, which could make their games against Germany and Spain really, really interesting because Germany and Spain two of the best ball-controlling teams in this entire World Cup. So if Japan can press high and get in transition, um, those games could be really interesting. And Japan, I think, has more than an outside shot to spoil either Germany or Spain's runs in this World Cup. So we have Germany and Spain in this group as well. I'll toss it over... Um, to you, Phil, to talk about Spain, because I think that's a really, really interesting squad. It is an interesting squad, but I mean, there's there's a couple questions that come to my mind, at least. When I look at defense, especially Carvajal, Azpilicueta, who, trust me, is near and dear to my heart. Even Jordi Alba, I mean, some of these guys are getting up there in age, and against a team like Belgium, who very famously counterattacked against, uh, I believe it was Japan. It was Japan, Four years yep. ago, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a couple pasty guys in Japan, too. How are they going to fare against guys who are just straight up faster? Now, of course, their midfield's pretty good, and there's a lot of names up top. I think there's going to be some healthy competition between guys like Murata, Sarabia, Asensio, even maybe Fernand Torres or Nico Williams. They're solid. I just don't know if they're all that. That makes sense. And I tend to agree because I think I think Spain have a lot of talent. Um, and it, I think if they make it into the knockouts, they're going to have an advantage. Um, 
just based off of um, how talented that midfield is. I think Pedri, like you said, um, Jared, that Bellingham is the midfield talent of his generation. I think it's Pedri. Um, It's those two guys that are up there. And I think, like you said, that Bellingham might carry this England team. Um, I think Pedri might carry the Spain team because he has so much talent um, and is such a good midfield general, a midfield maestro, um, that you really can't overlook Spain at all. But uh, Germany, a very interesting team because they have disappointed in their last couple international tournaments since winning the World Cup back in 2014, Jared. Yeah, I mean, in looking at Germany, too, um, it's kind of interesting because Phil mentioned when you look at this France team and the World Cup curse, I mean, it happened to Germany as well. I mean, it's just always happened. And for Germany, the interesting thing to look at is they've always really been formidable through the midfield. And you remember that the biggest reason that they were able to really kind of strike through Argentina was Mario Coetze off the bench. They always have players that can do something off the bench, and they still do. But for me, I look at an aging core for Germany. I think they still get out as the top two, obviously. I think they compete with Spain, but don't have much success out in the knockout rounds um, because of that. I mean, but it's basically guaranteed when you look at Costa Rica that just has Kaylor Navas and actually a 37-year-old Brian Ruiz. Fulham legend. But, yeah, still kick, still kicking about. Yeah, so no one else really there. So Germany will get out, obviously. Um, I don't see much upside for them in the knockout stages. I think Germany are a really interesting team because, like you said, it's an aging core, but it's a I mean, core that I... Young players yeah, yeah, an, an aging core but in the midfield. It's the learning curve. Exactly. I, I think the... I still think that despite the age of guys like Muller and, and Kimmich even now... Um, it's the best midfield in this World Cup. Kimmich, Gundogan, Muller, and Goretzka, all four of those guys aren't going to start, but even having three of those guys on the pitch for you, you're controlling every single game. You are controlling the pace of that game. You are dictating how things go in the middle of the park, and they will play teams off the park because of how good those guys are. The tactics have changed from when Joachim Lowe was the manager uh, now they're all about the the German style of play, the Gegenpress, the the Rangnick inspired Klopp um, revolu- revolutionized style of play. It's a high press. They control games with possession, but if they lose it, they're getting it back immediately. That front four is really really strong. Sane, Nabry, Muller floats up there as well. But I I genuinely think that I think Kai Havertz um, is not a great footballer in the Premier League. But he always performs for England. Pardon me, Germany. Um, he always performs for Germany. And um, a little Freudian slip there. Maybe he scores an own goal against England or something. But Havertz, I think, will play a big role in this team. But undoubtedly, the weakness is at the number nine. Um, and and it, it kind of always has been, right? I mean, Mario Gomez um, in 2014, that's not exactly a guy, a household name. Um, ever since they lost Miroslav Klose... They don't really have that goal scorer. So that's, I think, the biggest concern for Germany. But as long as they're controlling games, I think the wing talent with Sané and Nabry, those two guys are incredible. Sané especially is performing so, so well right now. Um, City, I think, are very much regretting letting him go. Uh, But 
imagine Sonny with Holland right now, right? Like, Sonny's such a good player on and off the ball. I think Germany are a very strong team, and I, I tend to disagree with you, Jared. I think that if they can get to the knockouts, which they will, I think they will have a lot of juice to make it far. I agree with the tactics, like you said. I mean, you remember Hansi Flick for Bayern basically helped that team win when they were at a point where they didn't look like they were going to do anything in Europe to going to win the Champions League for Lewandowski's first Champions League title. And so I can't deny that at all. Cannot deny that he is tactically very good and what his style is going to do is bring a different element that we've seen from Germany and maybe the past four World Cup cycles, but don't have Lewandowski there. I mean, you don't have a central locus of attack. And I think that's the key thing. When I think of the Netherlands, that's the same thing I think of. Yeah, Depay is good as a striker, but is he really a true number nine? And you don't need a number nine to play soccer in today's game. But at the same time, I think it is important for Hansi Flick's tactics. So it is a question mark, but, I mean, team with that much talent, like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. could very well tip your way and get as far as they want to. So we'll, we'll close out Group E very quickly, both of you saying you're, you're one and you're two in this group. I think Germany will finish first. I think Spain will finish second, but not without a very, very difficult challenge from Japan. Yeah, I have them in no particular order. I couldn't really pick one, but Spain and Germany have to go up. Oh, yeah, easily. I mean, I, I'm going to say Germany's probably going to finish ahead of them just because they had dead. But yeah, those two easily. All right, that rounds out Group F. We've got two more to go. Or sorry, that rounds out Group E. We've got three more to go. We're starting with Group F now. Another pretty interesting group in Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. So I'll start out with Croatia because I think what I'm going to say is going to spark a little bit of conversation. Um, Following their run in the 2018 World Cup, the Croatians have kind of disappointed. They lost to Spain in the round of 16 in the Euros. And similarly to Germany, but even worse, this squad is old. It is a very, very old team. Luka Modric, obviously still one of the best midfielders in the world. He's still their best player by a long shot. He anchors this midfield alongside Brozovic and Kovacic. Um, When he's partnered with Perisic, it creates much of the core of that 2018 team. Not many teams match Croatia in the midfield. But the biggest weakness is that there's no Mario Mandzukic anymore. And despite having a guy like Andre Kramaric, he's only got three league goals this season for Hoffenheim. He's 31. Goals for Croatia are going to be really, really hard to come by. It's going to be an even bigger case of a team that can control the game, but simply just can't get the ball into the back of the net. Um, uh, they, they're going to run that 4-3-3. It's going to be Brozovic, Kovacic, and, and Modric in there. Um, Perisic for Spurs hasn't really been playing at the front three. He's been more of a wingback, and he's going to play up top for Croatia. I think Croatia don't make it out of this group, and I think they finish last in this group, actually. Wow. Because... because you have a winner's curse, and then you have a, a curse of a team that, that made it very far in the last World Cup, overperformed, and I think they're going to underperform big time here. Belgium is a very strong team. Morocco is better than people are giving them credit for. I think Canada aren't the dark horses people are saying that they are, um, but I think Croatia are um, very much outsiders to win the group, but definitely not outsiders to get knocked out. I think Croatia do not make it out of the group stage in this World Cup. 
Yeah, I think you're forgetting about one striker on Croatia in particular who's been fantastic in terms of recent form. Smislav Orsic for Dinamo Zagreb. I mean, he, you know, he's not obviously a, a household name across Europe, but with questions around Kramerich and Perisic and Petkovic, maybe he's the guy and maybe he just needs that time to step into a role that I think he deserves. I I don't think he is quite at the same level of his Dinamo Zagreb teammates. I think he's much, much, much higher than that. And I hope that this World Cup will prove it because, as you mentioned, a lot of these players are getting older and they, they need somebody to feed up top. And, you know, if Orsic has got the hot foot, you just got to feed him and see what happens. I think he could definitely create. I don't think Morocco has the, the pull that a lot of people think they do. I think Canada's going to be fun to watch and certainly will give Croatia a run for their money. But in the end, you know, it's old age is one thing, but with that comes experience. And that's something that the midfield has. They're going to dominate, obviously. But I think Mislav Orsic could really be a surprise to a lot of people. Now, I remember I remember Orsic. I remember Orsic from yeah. when he knocked out Spurs in the Europa League. Um, but I, I, I just don't know how much... Uh, of in the conversation he is to start up top, especially with um, how much um, Kramerich was favored in 2018 as well. Kramerich did get a lot of game time in 2018 right. um, when when Mandzukic maybe got subbed off or when they when Croatia needed an extra man up top. It'll depend on that, of course. Um, but I think even even with Orsic, I think um, I, I I really do like this Morocco team, and I think they'll be able to make a little bit more noise um, than uh, what Croatia are able to do. Go ahead, Jared. I have some things on Morocco. I also think Croatia, I mean, I agree with Phil with what he said about the potential they have, but also Mario Pasolic on that squad I think is a contributor off the bench played immense roles for Atalanta in their Champions League runs, even sometimes as a striker when they literally had no one else because that's what happens with small money teams. Um, Croatia's old, but I think they have more experience in this Morocco team. I mean, to Bill's point, you have only a few guys really in these top six leagues. Yeah, there are some defenders that are playing with big six teams. I mean, you have to mention Akraf Hakimi. You can't not mention Hakimi. And, of course, you can't mention ZX. But offensively, I don't think they have it. I don't think ZX is that much of a threat, especially if you look at based on form, when is the last time you've heard his name in the past two or three seasons? I mean, mm. Champions League, after they bought him. But that was really it. And so Hakimi, they have a few other players defensively, but nothing that this Croatia team doesn't have. And for the rest of the group, I mean... Canada is exciting. I, I agree with that. But Belgium takes one, and I think literally everything else is a toss-up because um, every single team has its own kryptonite. For Morocco, I think it's attacking weapons. Personally, I don't think Ziyech will handle the load. Croatia is old age, and, of course, with Canada, I think it's just an untested roster. I mean, band of misfits to a degree. When's the last time you heard Canada making noise in international competition? So... They have a huge test to answer, and I couldn't pick between either one. But Morocco, I think it's difficult. I think it'll be difficult. I don't think they'll have as much success as they plan on having. 
So I've got I've got Belgium one, Morocco two. We'll obviously get to Belgium in the knockouts more probably. Um, Phil, I know you've probably got Belgium one. Do you have Croatia slotting in it too? I do. I mean, Canada in terms of the th- like the second seed, third seed in each of the groups, I think Canada's in the conversation for being one of the strongest upsets, if you will. I I still think Croatia's going to hold out. All right, so we've got my bold prediction for these groups um, out of the way. Uh, so we'll move on to Group G. Um, another uh, group that might have a toss-up for second and third, Brazil um, and Cameroon are, are probably the consensus to finish first and fourth. But uh, Serbia and Switzerland, two really, really interesting teams. Um, I'll start with Serbia. I, I think they've got some serious talent. Um, in that team, and especially up top, um, Dusan Vlahovic. He's being wasted at Juventus right now, but he's got crazy potential. If he can be unlocked in this World Cup um, by some sort of different tactics, I think he can really shine. Mitrovic is playing the best football of his life right now. Um, he's He's been in form for about a year and a half, um, and he's going to continue that as well. Dusan Tadic, um, a name that flies under the radar because he plays for Ajax, he remains as creative as ever. He's in the 99th percentile in Europe compared to other midfielders in assists and shot creating actions and 94th in progressive passing. So when you have a guy behind Vlahovic and Mitrovic like that, that creates a crazy, crazy intimidating front three. The the weaknesses is absolutely the defense for Serbia. The The big concern for me is how they'll perform in a low block. And I think the biggest indicator for that will be the match against um, uh, against Switzerland. Um, so that's my notes on Serbia. Um, I, I think Switzerland are also a really interesting team in this World Cup. Uh, I'm sorry, you said who was going to finish last in that group? I did say Cameroon. Think Cameroon? I my turn for the hot take. Cameroon's going to finish second. Okay. I think they're going to finish oh. second. Okay. No, 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 no. no, no, no talk no, no. us through it. Talk us through it. Before you laugh. All right. A lot of the AFCON teams are, you know, like they have so many fast guys. They have so many guys who score goals. Their defense is coming to question. And you know what? Fair enough. Cameroon, not exactly known for their defensive heroics. But in terms of pure attacking power, they are the best on their continent. Vincent Abubakar, Toko Akambi, I mean... Even, dare I say, Eric Maxime Chupamozing, who, uh, first of all, that guy's agent, right? That guy's agent is the best in the world. <laughs> but uh, there's so many players that I'm so excited to see in this team. I, th- You know, the, the defense and the midfield might be unflattering at first, but I think there's a lot of names that fly under the radar with Nkunku, um, Nuhu, and Mabaizo with uh, the Sounders and the Union, respectfully. I know it's a big MLS stand over here, but I think they could <laughs> seriously surprise people with just pure strength and power up top, which uh, there's a couple other teams that do this really well um, at the World Cup, but they, I think they need to be considered as uh, a second seed in this group, 100%. What do you have to say to that, Jared? I don't see much of Cameroon, but 
I, I'll give Phil the credit that is due about a team that can surprise any team, but would counter with the rebuttal that is that these two teams that are above them, hypothetically, if you just count out Brazil as the one, Serbia and Switzerland just by far would have a better pedigree. I mean, I love how frustrating Switzerland has been with each and every World Cup. I don't know what Shakiri's status is, but every single year, just the five foot five winger just dazzles for Switzerland and all the players they have in the back too. They play a frustrating low block at times as well. And Serbia, that's probably the stat of the century right there, Arjun, that you talked about, Dusan Tadic. I did not know that, but I think you remember his name from Ajax's run where they yep. very well could have been in the Champions League final. I mean, they could have won, theoretically. Um, but that's exciting. I think Luka Jovic is a guy who's also fallen basically off a cliff, obviously, since his transfer to Real Madrid and then back to Eintracht Frankfurt. But I think he's a name that shouldn't be forgotten. You talk about depth for a, a country that quite frankly, shouldn't have it. That's exciting. And I think it's more exciting than Switzerland. But I think Switzerland by far has the better defensive prowess. And Cameroon, personally, I think, has a lot of individual faces. And like Phil mentioned, it has to be up to that collective in the back to shore itself together and prove people wrong. Because there are a lot of guys from less notarized, really, clubs and don't have that status. But if they do end up pulling together, that would be the surprise of the tournament. But I think that the offensive success for Serbia and the collective system that Switzerland would have would trump any success for Cameroon at the bottom of the group. I think I think what you said about Serbia as well, that they have a lot of depth, and I didn't even mention the name, Sergej Milinkovic-Savic. That yeah. guy is insane. Mm-hmm. He is, yeah. he, um, he ha- hasn't quite earned himself the big money move that that people think he he would but i think that's coming up in the next window or the next two windows for for sms um the midfield for serbia is so strong especially with Tadic as well um and and sms serves as that um that sort of outlet from from the defense to the attack where Tadic can serve as as the ball player to the um to the two attackers that i mentioned i think serbia um, I'm naming them as my dark horse in this tournament. I think they finish second in this group, and I think they make a lot of noise. I think Mitrovic is a legitimate golden boot contender for this tournament, um, especially if I think Serbia can make it as far as I think they can. Um, I, I have a lot of faith in the, in the Serbia team. So rounding out, I've got Brazil at one and Serbia at two. But I, I hate to leave my guy Granit Xhaka heading back on a plane to London. But like you said, like you said, Jared, I, I think the Switzerland team is really, really strong as a unit. Um, it, if it's not Serbia, it's going to be Switzerland. And and if Switzerland make it, then as we know, we know they can make noise um, in, in a knockout phase. So uh, I think either one of those two, whoever comes out second place in, in Group G, may be heading for a quarterfinal. So Phil had Brazil one, Cameroon two. Jared's got Brazil and did you say Switzerland at two, Jared? It's tough. I kind of agree with you for Serbia, Arjun. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of can't pick between the two, but Serbia would be an exciting show. 
All right, so that will round out Group G. Brazil, the consensus number one. Obviously, we will speak about them a little more when we get to the knockouts as well. Group H, the final group before we get into the knockout stages, Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. I think this is um, one of the more even groups uh, in in this World Cup, but I think Portugal are a team um, that I would like to have um, our first discussion on because I think uh, we should talk about Portugal before we get uh, to the knockouts. So I think Jared had a little bit on Portugal. I feel like Portugal is always that team that everyone has said, especially the last two cycles, that it's primed for a breakout. It's primed to do something, and they never do. I mean, they won the Euros with Ronaldo's first international trophy, but since then it's been – how can we put the pieces together with a team that is just loaded with talent? I mean, João Felix obviously is underutilized and maybe misutilized at Atletico Madrid, but he's still a weapon. Ronaldo, I think, is a question mark. I think that's the huge thing. I mean, a lot of these players that have been staples for Portugal have somewhat fallen out of favor with their club teams. And then the main goalkeeper that has been there for quite some time, Rui Patricio, could be challenged in a sense by Jose Sa. I mean, I like Jose Sa with Wolverhampton, even though hmm. they haven't had much domestic success. I think when Bruno Lage was there, especially last season, um, did quite well. So to me, Portugal's exciting. I mean, you look up and down their lineup. Guerrero's still there. Diaz is one of the best center backs. Joao Cancelo is just probably one of the best outside backs you could get with his distribution. And then probably my favorite, most frustrating center back ever, Pepe, is still kicking it. So I always loved watching Pepe just two-foot someone in El Clasico all the time. So Portugal has all the pieces, and never mind the midfield, but Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, you name it, right? I think it's just frustrating to see how can they find the best lineup and what can their manager do, who's been there for quite some time, but hasn't been able to really match that team? I think that they get out. Obviously, they have to get out. But I don't know where they go. I, it's not like there's going to be the Ronaldo of old carrying this team on the back because he's just too old to do it. I think Portugal, like I said, I think England may have the best squad on paper, if not top three. I think Portugal are top three for, for, mm-hmm. for talent on paper. They have – I don't think they have a weakness um, in in that squad. Um, and if there is a weakness, it might be Ronaldo um, just based on his current form. But the biggest weakness isn't the 11 players on the pitch. It's on the touchline. Fernando Santos um, does not know how to unlock the potential of these players. His tactics, uh, I, I compare them to Allegri at Juventus. Very mm-hmm. negative, very conservative. They don't really impose themselves on a game. Um, and that has been their downfall in these last couple cycles, that I think um, that that's why they haven't reached their potential. If they're able to change up their tactics, um, begrudgingly, I would say Portugal might be one of the favorites to win this tournament. But uh, I, I think um, 
I don't foresee Fernando Santos changing his style of play. I don't foresee Portugal being as dynamic as I think they should, especially with the crazy amount of attacking talent they have. Bernardo Silva, Bruno Fernandes, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo is still there. You've got Rafael Liao, who's one of the most exciting young forwards in, in, um, in all of Europe. There is so much talent on this Portugal team. And, and you mentioned Diaz, Cancelo, Jose Saw, who might be taking over. Um, Saw was, I think, statistically the best goalkeeper in the Premier League last season. Um, because the, the, the best goalkeepers don't face that many shots. The, the goalkeepers on the best teams don't face too many shots. Saw had like the best shot stop rate. He had like the best um, expected goals saved. So there are so many pieces on this Portugal team. I just don't know if they all come together under the right style of play. I, I think it's going to come down to the first game. I think they're going to, you know, you mentioned it. The, the style sometimes can be uninspiring. I think they're going to, you know, the first game is against Ghana, which is a team that loves to just create havoc at the World Cup every time they're there. And there's going to be 45 minutes of some really boring, uninspired soccer from Portugal. And then if they can change the formula from there, I think they're contenders to win it all. Honestly, I think they're going to, you know, try what they want to. And if it doesn't work, of course, they'll have to change it. But they have so many individual stars that they're only going to get better at whatever they choose to do as the World Cup goes on. It's all about starting on the right foot. I I, I have them winning by World Cup if they can get it together from the very first kick of a ball. I think they win it all. I think Portugal are, are definitely a really interesting team, but I think another very interesting team in this group is absolutely Uruguay. Um, because similarly to a lot of the other teams we've been talking about, they're aging a little bit, but they've also got some incredible young talent that could be game breakers. The two names I'm looking at, Federico Valverde with Real Madrid, playing the best football of his career, one of the best midfielders in Europe right now. Um, and... A guy that I don't really rate all that much, if I'm being very honest, but the kind of guy that can be a complete game changer in a one-month tournament, Darwin Nunez. Um, I think over the course of a league season, uh, Nunez will not be the the easiest on the eyes, right? Like so, someone that maybe is is a little bit clumsy on the ball, but he's going to get himself into the correct positions on the pitch. And he's going to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, Cavani and Luis Suarez are both in the squad, but those guys, um, Suarez is obviously playing back home in, in, in Uruguay, and Cavani is playing, I didn't even know he was playing for Valencia. He's playing for Valencia. Um, those guys are both 35 years old. That's where Darwin Nunez comes in. He's the, he's, he's the next guy up for Uruguay, and I think he is a huge, huge game changer. Um, and I think he's a game breaker. And I think the Portugal Uruguay game is going to be really important. And I think Portugal continue to play uninspired. And I think Uruguay take advantage. And I have Uruguay winning that match. And I have Uruguay topping my group. Um, and I have Portugal finishing second, which um, obviously I don't think Uruguay have as much talent across the pitch as Portugal do. In fact, they have a lot less of it. They have way less talent all over the pitch, but it's, it's just the way that that um, I think Uruguay will be able to break games, especially that one against Portugal. 
they will have um i think they'll have the upper hand on this group that's my prediction for for this group uruguay one portugal two i look at an uruguay team that still has all the pieces that they had they're just aging but i would go as far as to say i don't think this is a very weak uruguay team not a sneakily strong one i mean torreira can really frustrate people in the midfield played with arsenal obviously fell out of favor but He's a really frustrating player to play against. Bentancourt is a little bit less pacey, but he's going to be holding the ball up with Valverde as well. That's three players you can play in a midfield three, but Uruguay has made most of its money playing just in a 4-4-2 with Suarez and Cavani. That's where it's interesting to see how it changes with them coming off the bench most likely and with just Darren Nunez. I assume they'll play someone else alongside them. Just play your typical 4-4-2. But they have attacking pieces. They have the midfield pieces. And they have experience on defense. I mean, Muslera's 36 in goal, but he's not a bad goalkeeper. Godin and Jose Jimenez have been there for quite some time. Um, I don't think this is a bad team at all. If anything, it's a team that doesn't have anything off the bench going for it and a team that if one injury hits it, it's done. But I, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if they can really frustrate all the teams and surprise people more than people think they have the potential to do so. Um, in a country of just like over 5 million people, this is like a powerhouse, especially over the last 20 years or so. And Phil, where do you think this group ends up with, with um South Korea also in the picture, Hyung Min Sun, obviously, but I, uh, I, I, lo- I, I did a little bit of reading on South Korea. I, in that team, there's just not enough talent, and and obviously they were they were huge um, last World Cup in getting Germany knocked out, um, one of the most famous moments in in South Korean football outside of the 2002 World Cup, but uh, I don't think South Korea have enough. So do you do you? see Portugal finishing above Uruguay or or the other way around? Where do you see that falling? I still think Portugal can can finish above Uruguay because just just the names, honestly. I mean, Uruguay remind me a little bit of England and the United States in the sense that, well, I guess more so with England, to be honest. You know, they, they are established, but they have so many really exciting young prospects the u.s do too but they're just not as established as the other two obviously so i i see second for uruguay but maybe a little early but i think they could probably win it next time around i still see them getting pretty far but i don't think they have what it takes to win it so that rounds out the discussion on the groups um obviously we, we haven't covered every single team but we are going to get there um, so I, we've got our knockout predictions uh, based off of who's finished first and second in the groups. I'll run through my matchups right now that um, that I think will happen. So 1A versus 2B, that's um, first in Group A, second in Group B, and then we'll just run down them. For me, the first game is the Netherlands versus the United States because I had the U.S. finishing second. Argentina versus Denmark, which I highlighted that that could be a matchup, especially if Argentina finished first, Denmark finished second in their group. Third, England versus Senegal. Fourth, France versus Poland. I had Poland finishing above Mexico, France obviously winning their group. 
I had Morocco finishing second in their group, uh, beating out Croatia and Canada, so they will take on Germany. And then probably the marquee matchup, Brazil versus Portugal, because I had Portugal finishing second in their group. Um, and another marquee matchup, Spain, I think, would finish second behind Germany, so they'll take on Belgium. And then finally, Uruguay versus Serbia. So that's my round of 16. Um, if you guys have yours, if you want to run through those matchups, um, and then we can do all we can all do our, our little individual predictions because we're all going to have different games just based off what we picked. Yeah. I mean, I see Netherlands moving on over the USA, like you said, Argentina over Denmark, uh, Germany over Croatia, Brazil over Uruguay, though. That, that one is making me second guess a little bit. England over Senegal, France over Poland, Belgium over Spain, and then Portugal over Cameroon. So, I mean, pretty much just ripping the top eight from FIFA and smacking them into the quarterfinals. <laughs> Jared, yeah, how about a you? Few, a few differences, but for the sake of time, I guess I'll just like go for the ones that I differ, which obviously I was not keen on the United States. So I wouldn't see Wales getting past the Netherlands at all. I don't think that's a possibility. I mean, Poland could do a good job. I don't know how that pans out against France at all. Um, and just other matchups, I think I mostly agreed with you, except for Croatia over Morocco. And then I don't think they make it out. So, I mean, other than that, it's just exciting to see what those marquee matchups really pan out to be, because those are the big question marks. I think most of the surprises maybe will be a flash in the pan. Yeah, I, I had I didn't say who I was winning those games, um, but I have the Netherlands over the U.S. I just think the Netherlands have too much. Making the knockouts would be a success for the U.S., I think. Winning a knockout game would be extremely um, overperforming. Uh, I think the only way we win a knockout is if we is if we draw Senegal, um, because I think the U.S. may have something against Senegal. Um, especially since they're going to be missing Mane, the defense may not have to worry about a guy like that. Um, two of the most interesting matchups I had, Argentina-Denmark. I think that is going to be the best game of the round of 16. And as a diehard Messi fan, if the U.S. don't somehow win this World Cup, I want Messi to do it. And I think it's going to be a really tough run for Argentina, especially drawing Denmark in that round of 16. Denmark are a semifinal quality football team. They legitimately could go very, very far. I just could not have them beating Argentina. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. I legitimately wouldn't be surprised if Denmark topped the group over France. Um, just because of how strong that team is um, and how strong they work as a unit especially. And I think in tournaments like these, individual players make a huge difference. But if, you're, if your team is well-rounded and can work as a unit, um, you are going to make a very, very big run. Um, and the Denmark team is just like the Switzerland team of 2018. If you have a strong goaltender like Jan Sommer was and a few hmm. players that could really round out a collective, I think Denmark has proven itself to not only have that system, but arguably or not even arguably, I just think it's a matter of fact, better individual talent. So they absolutely have that potential. So I did have Argentina winning 2-1 after extra time in that game. Um, 
And then the biggest marquee matchup that I had was Brazil-Portugal because I have Brazil topping the group and Portugal finishing second. I think outside of Portugal and England, like I said, two of the most talented squads on paper, I think Brazil are that third team that um, when you look at talent on paper, Brazil probably round out the three strongest for me um, with Brazil, Portugal, and England. Brazil, Portugal, if it ends up happening, um, which I think there's not... It's not a long shot. I do think Portugal could comfortably top the group. But if Uruguay end up being the game breakers, then I think um, Portugal could definitely end up in this situation. I have Brazil moving on um, in penalties. So Mm -hmm. my winners, I have Netherlands, Argentina, England, France, Germany, Brazil, Spain. And then what I finally wanted to highlight before we move on to the quarters is I think Serbia are going to be a quarterfinal team. I think they're going to beat Uruguay. Um, obviously, I said Uruguay are a team that can be game breakers, and Serbia are the exact same. So that is going to be um, a big matchup if it happens. Um, yeah, we need to heat check real quick. That is a scalding take. Scalding um, take. You had Cameroon finishing second, Phil. Yeah, I know. <laughs> still, I didn't have them going to the quarterfinals. No, you're right. You're right. I, I, I just have a lot of faith in the Serbia team. I, um, I'm I'm mainly riding high off how high I was on Denmark in in the Euros, and they ended up making the semis. So I just wanted to make a different prediction and see if it hits. And if it does, then um, everyone should come to me for for their dark horse picks, essentially. So this is me testing the waters to see how it goes. I I picked a team I like, and I'm I'm having to move it on. Um, So in the quarterfinals, we probably all have pretty similar matchups as we get closer to the end of this tournament. I've got Netherlands against Argentina, Germany against Brazil, Spain against Serbia, and England against France. What are y'all's quarter matchups? In terms of winners, Argentina is going to be in the Netherlands. Germany is going to beat Brazil probably less than 7-1, but they'll still (laughs) win. Uh, I'm going to say England over France and then Portugal over Belgium. Call me crazy, but I like Serbia there. All right, you're crazy. I mean, yeah, I like Serbia. Crazy. <laughs> That's. I mean, that you're looking at a Spanish crazy. national team that probably won't figure out how to put together an attacking form. They did it in the Euros. Oh come and on, secondly, Spain! Come on. Secondly, they don't have. They're looking at Unai Simon, and they're looking at a goaltender that played well in the Euros, but has never played at the World Cup stage. Unai Simon is decent. He's not the he's best decent. goalkeeper. Okay, that's a key word. Not nowhere close. But he, <laughs> and you have he some players good. that could very he well is be playing at a world-class level mint. with Serbia. Hmm. I think they could be playing at a world-class form, maybe not world-class level, but these are players that have played at the, their highest levels before, like Dusan Tadic has, I mean, played at the Champions League semifinals and contributed to what could have been a run to the finals for Ajax. I don't see why it's not a far cry if that's the matchup. They very well could play a different team and get knocked out. Yeah, um, absolutely. If that's the matchup, though, in the quarterfinals, I would agree with most of y'all's picks, basically, but I wouldn't be surprised to give them a shout there. I think that could be a very huge upset, depending and on how the is. Serbia, Serbia moving on to the quarterfinals is contingent on them playing Uruguay. I think if they play yes. Portugal, they'll be played off the park. No. So... Mm-hmm. So that that's really the 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 difference between you know I I I schemed it to where Uruguay would finish first so that Serbia could get second, but I do I do legitimately think Uruguay have a shot to win that group. Um, 
I, I just made it so that Serbia could could um, could have their shot because I think they do have a shot um, for sure. So I've got Netherlands, Argentina. I have Argentina moving on. I actually feel I have Brazil beating Germany. I think I think this Brazil team Ooh. is is legit. I think this Brazil team is legit. I have them winning three one after extra time. Um, so Anthony's and... going to do a lot of spins in that game. Yes, I think so. I, <laughs> no, I, but that's that's the, so valid, though. I mean, Brazil. I think Brazil is a team we didn't really get to talk about in depth. Um, but I yeah, think I true. would like to talk about them right now. Um, before. Um, I don't know how far you have them going, Jared. Um, I'll let you do your picks after we get into Brazil. But I think Brazil have a lot of talent all over the pitch. Predictably, their weaknesses is at wing back. Um, Alexandro and likely Danny Alves could be starting day one for Brazil. Um. <laughs> Danny Alves, obviously, <laughs> well, he's, um, a, he's just a relic, isn't he? He's just, yes, just. absolutely. <laughs> he's, I mean, one of the best right backs of all time, one of the most decorated footballers of all time, but oh, he's old. Um, but you've got Thiago Silva and Marquinhos next to them, and to boot, the best goalkeeper in the world behind all four of them. So I think that midfield as well, um, with Pacata, Casemiro, and Fred, um, say what you want about Fred, but he's there. He's in the team. Um, Fred Edio. It's about all the golden obviously, obviously the Obviously, the biggest uh, factor is Neymar. And, and Neymar is hitting his stride for PSG. He's hitting his confidence now. I think he's going to have a really big tournament. Um, and Neymar's successor as well, lineup, Vinicius. If you look at that lineup, I don't even think Neymar needs to be a factor. I mean, exactly. Have, like, oh, yeah. You have a half dozen attackers to choose from. Even if Neymar tears his quad in the opening match day, and, and I mean, and I mean, up top, up top, you've got Gabriel Jesus, who's probably going to start up top. Neymar is likely going to be Neymar is likely going to be on the left. Vinicius maybe on the right. Maybe they'll swap wings. Um, but also, I'll shout out my boy Gabriel Martinelli. He has been rumored to impress in camp. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Martinelli make a huge impact off the bench. And maybe as they get to the knockouts, if he performs in the group stages, that Martinelli becomes a factor. Um, he is also that type of player that can game break. Um, he is incredibly quick, so good on the ball, incredibly intelligent with space. Um, I've seen it week in and week out at Arsenal. Gabriel Martinelli is a star. He's going to be a star. Um, but I don't, he, he's not Vinicius level, right? So that's the thing. You've got Vinicius as your, as your, as a starting winger and you've got Gabriel Martinelli behind you. The attacking depth is insane. If you're in need of a goal and you can bring a guy like Gabriel Martinelli, you can bring a guy like Anthony off the bench. You can bring a Richarlison off the bench. Like it is, Brazil have a lot of talent on this pitch. Um, not just up top, but in the midfield, and in defense, and crucially, uh, in goal. I think Allison is someone who can be a huge factor for, for Brazil in this tournament. So that's uh, that's our little discussion on Brazil, as we've got Phil had Germany beating Brazil um, in, in his round of 16 matchups. I also have England beating France. Um I think England's talent is really evident, and I think Pogba and Conte is going to be a really, really big miss for France. Um, as much as Pogba may, is, wasn't playing, 
as much as Conte hasn't been playing, those guys show out for their country, and, and they have consistently done so, and I don't think they had any reason not to. Pogba in the Euros was off form. Um, he was not playing well for club before the Euros, and then he came in for France and was the best player in the tournament until they got knocked out. So not having a guy like that is is a big, big blow. Despite talking about Pogba, I'm of the elk of saying he's one of the most overrated footballers in the world, and that's just my opinion. I don't think they'll miss him at all. And if we compare England to France, which is also one of my matchups, I don't. I think England gets blown out of the water. When have they ever wow. shown any sort of heart? What? When have when has England ever what? shown? Besides the fact that they got to the semis and they got through, like. I don't think England has shown that it has any sort of grit in its game. But to France has nobody. They have no France Kante. has a very young They have no Pogba. France they has no a very young different than how it used to be. And they have players that are going to show that they have everything to prove, despite the fact that you have a Camavinga that's already at the top of La Liga. Many as well. I don't have faith in this French team. I don't have that much faith in it. But I surely have more faith in France than I do in England is where mm-hmm. I'm going with it. And I think by far they'd have a more talented makeup to get past an England team that's just going to sit back and pass the ball for 90 minutes because, I mean, that's what Gareth Southgate's done for the past four years. I can't argue with that. I mean, I, I, I tend I tend not to disagree with you, Jared, but I think I think England um, have shown in in especially in knockout play that they can be dangerous. They've made they made the semis of the 2018 World Cup. They made they they got to the final of the Euros. Um, I don't think this is the year they take the step and lift it for the first time since '66. But I think in knockout play that they have shown that they can definitely um, hold their own. Um, France. It's a difficult one. That matchup is especially hard because it's two teams that play so differently. That that France are very positive. France are very um, high pressing, attacking. Uh, England more pragmatic. Um, it it really all just depends on how England's set up in that game and if they go more aggressive or not. Um, and I have a feeling that as the tournament goes on, England settle. Uh, they don't settle. England England. Um, become a little bit more intelligent at, in in knockout play as the tournaments go on um, until they get to the final stages. But I think getting to the final stages is, is, is what they've been good at. So that's why I have faith in this England team. Um, but you obviously can't count out France. Saying that, last year I thought France were genuinely the clear favorites to, to win the Euros, but they had a lapse, it was their best team, it was their best 11, and, and Switzerland took them out. So if if any team is able to take a page out of that playbook, um, then I think France may be in trouble and, and not able to repeat. Um, so Jared, I don't know if you went through your quarterfinal um, matchups yet, your, your results before we get into the semis. Yeah, I mean, I had most of them. I still think France is just... I, I don't see a path where England makes it past the quarters personally. Um, and when I look up and down the lineup, I have confidence in Brazil, obviously, to get through. Portugal is a question mark, but I like Portugal depending on how it pans out, as you mentioned. 
If yeah. they finish second, that's a totally different landscape as to whether they finish first in their group or not and how that would pan out. Um, but personally, when I look at the rest of the teams that are really have a chance at getting through, I would go as far as to say that, I mean, I really like where Argentina could go. I really like where Argentina could go with their positioning in the group. And so I think obviously they get to the quarters. I think they do more damage from there, which I think we're getting to now. I, I think I, uh, I tend to agree with you, but I think that that Denmark game is making me really nervous. Um, if, if Argentina are able to get over that hump, I think they can go very far. So in my semis, I do have Argentina facing off against Brazil and I have Spain against England. Um, I had Spain beating Serbia I did not have Serbia making it into the semifinals, um, but I had Spain winning one nil. So I think it's it's not it's going to be a gritty game. It's going to be a tough game, and I think Spain and England is going to be similar. I don't think it's going to be a very fun game to watch. Um, I think England are going to be World Cup finalists. I think they're going to beat Spain. Um, that's just the luck of the draw for England, though. If they're able to get past France. Um, and if Spain are able to to get to that semi, I think England have um, more talent than Spain. And I think Spain are similarly negative in their style of play. And I think England can, t- can take advantage of that for sure. My other semifinal, Argentina versus Brazil. I went back and forth on this one so many times. Mm-hmm. I had, I have Brazil also in the World Cup final. I think Brazil all over the pitch are um, stronger in the midfield especially, I think. Um, Argentina's midfield isn't suspect at all. Definitely not. They've got a very, very strong midfield, but I think Brazil, and I think the key player is Lucas Paqueta. I think his versatility and Casemiro's uh, stability in in that midfield makes it a really, really balanced three. So, and also in defense... It depends who's, who lines up alongside Romero, but Otamendi concerns me a little bit. Um, obviously, age doesn't matter as much for center backs, but I think his play has taken a big drop off since the levels that we saw him at, in, in especially in 2014 and um, back in 2018 as well. I think Brazil have too much attacking talent for that. Um, Argentina back four especially those wingbacks as well. Obviously, wingbacks become a little bit of an issue. Um, it's going to be a tough one, but I have Brazil winning 2-1 after extra time. And I, I went back and forth. It could go either way. Um, and I legitimately think that Argentina have a very, very good shot to win the World Cup. But if they face off against Brazil in the semi, it's going to be a high-pressure high pressure situation. And I think Brazil will end up having too much talent for Argentina to contend with outside of Lionel Messi, obviously, who I think is the greatest ever that his style of play has changed a lot um, over the last couple of years. He takes on a different role. Um, he's more of a distributor now. I don't know if we see him scoring uh, as much as we did back in 2014 um, in that world cup. Um, but I hope we see a knockout goal from him at least because neither him nor Ronaldo have scored a goal in in the knockout stages of any World Cup. So that's my semifinals. I have Brazil and England facing off in the final. 
uh, I'll let you guys go with your semifinals for first before we crown our World Cup winners. Uh, for me, personally, yeah, Argentina into the final over Germany, but honestly, I could see them playing Brazil as well. Um, that's, I So many people have them as the favorites, but it's just it's going to come down to can they close it out? Um, and of course, all eyes will be on Messi, but there are so many other players that are worth talking about that we could spend Definitely. hours on. Totally. Um, but yeah, I think I think they can get into the final. Absolutely. And then on the other side, uh, I've got England and Portugal. Still on my Portugal train. I really am. I, I think they oh, can. Oh, he's going to do it. He's going to do I, it. I say Portugal <laughs> over England. I don't think it's England's time yet. I think they'll they'll be serious contenders in, well, honestly, this year, but also for 2026, they'll probably make the final. It's just, you know, they're they're still developing a couple names. And if once more players like Jude Bellingham and Connor Gallagher just get more first team experience in high pressure situations, then I think they'll have the tenacity to close it out. But yeah, I see them going to a third place game. So I've got Argentina and Portugal duking it out on the 18th of December. I like Argentina. I haven't gone to the final. I like Argentina for the reasons that you guys are wary about them. I like mm. the young center backs that they have. Huh. Namely, I've loved Cuti Romero ever since he's kind of been in Europe. He's and class. He struggled at Spurs at the start, was injured to get there. But when he came over on loan from Juventus to Atalanta, he was the best defender in the Serie A. And there's a reason he went to Tottenham after one season. What about Martinez? Martinez, I think he's better than McGuire, so I'll give him that shout. That's a low bar. I mean, it's a very low bar. It is a low bar. It's a very low bar. It's a low bar. Martinez still probably has to try and... It's a very low bar, but you have a one one under a nine. Jared just completely skipped over that short joke, but whatever. It's been done to death. It went over my head. But, um, <laughs> like like yeah. Martinez doesn't. Yeah. yeah. Really like now. This is harassment. There's always a huge thought about Martinez never missing a header. Like Ten Hag's like, oh, he can get the ball or whatever. But um, I mean, you have one Foyth on that roster too. I don't see where yeah. he actually factors into this Ooh. World Cup. But ever since he went to Villarreal, he was like a super, super changed player from his time on loan at Spurs. So I don't know where they go with their back four. But I think they have enough of a back four. And I think if they don't want to go to Otamendi, which, I mean, they probably will. But if they don't, I don't see why they wouldn't just play Foyth, Tagliafico, Romero, and Lisandro, and just play one of them on their wrong-footed sides or something like that. Um, I don't know where they go with right back. But I think they have enough players. Acuna, that's definitely an option out there at right back. I think they can be formidable defensively. Yeah. I don't think there's question marks there. I think they have enough. In fact, maybe more than they've had in their past cycles. I mean, Mascherano, when he was playing, was, what, in his late 30s, playing in that line with Otamendi as well. And that was kind of difficult for them defensively. I think, arguably, they have some better useful players that can really keep up with the speed of teams, like the Brazils of the world or whatever it may be. Um, and I don't want to be that guy either, Phil, about Portugal. But <laughs> y'all are both doing it. 
I would put Argentina over Portugal. That's where I go. That's okay. fair. I think for I think Portugal could get there, but as we mentioned, it's it's a frustrating team. Mm. They need to be very lucky. I think they can get as far as they can because a lot of the big powerhouse teams have been really riddled with uncertainty. I mean, I love France, but we talked about how France's midfield is a question mark. Germany, it's very difficult for them as well. I like Portugal based on the fact that they have the perfect team. And they can get there. They but, have the perfect look, team as if Ronaldo can screw his head on straight. And yeah, but say you I, up and play. And like we both soccer. are, like we both are going with right now. Say we idealize this and put them both in the final. I still think Argentina has more of a developed and more. That's fair. Team like a team build versus Portugal. I mean, I mean imagine Ronaldo doesn't play, right? Like imagine oh they my don't gosh. play. I, I, you know what? I'd probably, I'd picture it as It'd a Euro. Better with that. I could picture him playing for the first half being absolutely terrible, and then early in the second claiming he has an injury. <laughs> I mean, remember when in the Euros when he had to come off, and I forget right. who their striker was, the dude that did the, the Tiger celebration. Oh, my God. Uh, Edder. Yeah, Edder. Edder. Yeah. Who and is like, he? <laughs> like, we have heard Edder, and then they have Ricardo Caresma, who, like, pops out of the who the shadows every four to years. Be Ronaldo. With, with, like, the absolute, uh, I forget what it's called, Trivela or something like that? Yeah. Ah, Trivela. Yeah. Like, they always had all those wicked talents, and then now they have so much that even that Euro run, like, oh, they could win without Ronaldo. I mean, yeah, we'll see where it goes, but I think Ronaldo obviously starts as that nine, and as we've seen with him on many teams, especially like Juventus and his latter club days, it's a frustrating game if Ronaldo can't get going. And I think he can push them far, but I like I like where Argentina is. I do like where they are. They're not just Rafael. a team with six players that you put up front in FIFA with Di Maria and Higuain and everyone ah. anymore. Like, they're a team with an established midfield that can do something. Trust. So is, Argentina, is Argentina-Portugal both of your finals? Yeah. Oh, come. Yes. Tell me Unreal. that would be the it would, most it would, exciting final. That's what it would be, been saying for years. It would like, be, it would be the probably one. the most anticipated game of all time. It's gonna be. It's it's Messi's and Ronaldo's last World Cup. It I mean, it would, if, if, if that if sports. that ended up happening, if that ended up ha- happening, it would be the most anticipated game of all time. Any sport, gotta be, gotta be, legitimately. Um, I, I just don't see a path to the final for Portugal, if I'm being very honest, even if they finish first in their group, um, because they have, let's say they finish first in their group and, and they go with my scenario. They will have, um, they'll have Serbia who could shock them. They could have Switzerland who very solid team, very good tactics. Um, and like you said, probably have more of a team build than what Portugal would have. So they could get shocked in the round of 16 by either of those teams. If they move on to the quarters, um, if they go how I, how my um, track has it, it's against Spain. I do think Portugal would beat Spain. Um, and then going into the semifinals, they would have England. And and I know I know Jared's not too excited about England, but I think England have a it, it's. Portugal and England, I think, are two very similar teams, that they have a lot of talent all over the pitch, but the tactics aren't really in their favor. Um, but I think England know a little bit how to break away from those tactics. I think England play better as a team than Portugal do. 
um, generally. I, I, I think there's there's a bit more there for, for the English right now. Um, and then obviously, if they made it to the final, it would be, um, in my scenario, it would be against Brazil, who I have them losing to in the round of 16. So we're, we're back to square one with that. But um, Portugal are a very interesting team. I think the group stages are going to be very telling as to how they set up, um, how positive they are. If they flip a switch, um, Ronaldo could get a World Cup genuinely. I, I, that team is so, so strong all over the pitch. I legitimately think they're one of the only teams in this World Cup without a weakness um, anywhere on the pitch. So both of you guys have Argentina-Portugal finals. We'll start with mine, the outlier, the very exciting Brazil versus England. Um, I, I think um, Brazil are going to win this year's World Cup. I think they... Um, I think it's high time that Brazil get back on the world stage. It's been a very long time since they um, ha- have really imposed themselves at a World Cup. Um, I think 7-1 changed the complexion of Brazilian football for, for a little bit, but I think they have recovered from that, and I think they're ready to go into a new new era, and I think this is how they're going to do it. Um, England, heartbreak for them again would be quite funny. Um, uh <laughs> I I I think um, uh, similarly to how I feel about Baralter, I think England and that mm-hmm. team deserve yeah. someone who can unlock those tactics, as do Portugal. Um, and unless until they get rid of Southgate, they're not winning anything, in my very very honest opinion. So I want to hear. Well, I know Jared already pretty much said who we think who he thinks has the upper hand over Portugal. Um, but Phil, let, let's hear both of you. Actually, let's just hear who who's winning your World Cup. Portugal and Neymar. I mean, it's it's come on. That I just I need it to happen. They have been waiting so long to break the duck. And the stars have aligned in a way that they can this year. The biggest thing for them that I've been thinking about a little bit more in the past hour or so is mentality can they work as a team because they have so many individual stars can they keep their head on straight if they don't make every pass perfectly can Ronaldo be a little bit less of a baby and can they pull together and remember that they're representing their country something much bigger than themselves and if they can do that I I think they can win the World Cup I genuinely do. I think Argentina obviously is a fan favorite. It's a favorite among many experts to win it all. Um, but seeing them in the final, I think if, if Portugal can stifle Argentina's attacks, especially in the first half, that's going to demoralize them a little bit and just leave those gaps open in between midfield and the, the first line of defense. And that's where we're going to see players like Silva and Fernandes and Leao get a little bit tricky and get a little bit skillful and be able to open up space for themselves. So I, I'd I like to clarify for the I'd like to clarify for the listeners as well that that Philip is wearing an Argentina jersey right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I my closet. I'm like, oh, I I need a World Cup kit, and I went boom, Argentina. Wait a minute, boom, Argentina. 
Well, uh, Philip has Portugal over Argentina. Jared um, already explained a little bit, but I'll let him go in depth on why Argentina have the upper hand on Portugal. Well, just to your point about Ronaldo keeping his head on straight, what about Bruno? I mean, the last competitions that he's been a part of, he was out of favor in the Euros, I'm pretty sure. He and was he being... was completely invisible for Portugal in the Euros. And I was think frustrated. I think Bruno Fernandez is legitimately a very very good footballer, but he was completely invisible in those. This Euros. is his redemption. He arc. was he was not a factor at all, and and. Unless something changes that, that, you know, Fernandez hasn't really been in form for United either. I, I think he was he was in form heading into last year's Euros. But, but it was the exact a, same thing when it was before Ronaldo playing. Yeah. I mean, he became the guy at Manchester United, despite the fact that he was kind of the playmaker for that squad, whether it was building up to Rashford or um, he who shall not be named. But there were, pl- <laughs> <laughs> there were plenty of other, like, Factors And when you boil it down the bottom line, the same reason that he had struggled with Portugal is the same reason he struggled at from the get-go with Ronaldo at Manchester United is by the very same token, playing a system through Ronaldo that isn't necessarily centric through him. Him kind of butting up against a striker and playing that similar style. Um, not necessarily as a striker, but, you know, being the focal point of the attack and sometimes dropping into what would be a false nine role if he was a striker. A lot of times, I mean, he was just frustrated throughout that. The entire time, the entire Euros, and then early on in the Manchester United days, they've probably figured out now in the sense that Ronaldo's not on the pitch. But if Ronaldo's on the pitch for 90 minutes for Portugal, you could see a similar situation for Bruno where maybe he doesn't become the guy in that midfield, or the opposite, where Ronaldo has to get pulled off a little bit too. But that's not the main reason why I think Argentina would prevail and a Portugal team would go as far as it could, based on its individual talent. I just like where Argentina is with the young pieces that I mentioned. I already went through the defense. Yeah. I think that's a very solid defense. I think that it's a very underrated defense. I think the midfield pieces are also there. It reminds me a lot like of Uruguay's defense. The same goes for Argentina to me, that they have players that can operate in that that midfield. And so I think that they have a lot less me, me, me type players as well. And that's a very dumb explanation. But at the same time, I think it serves itself better in the sense that when it comes down to a 90-minute matchup between these two teams in the finals, it's... Messi hasn't gotten a knockout goal. He's not looking for a knockout goal. I mean, he's drifting towards the touchline on the right side, trying to create space for other players. And Ronaldo is just going to wait for the ball the whole time. I mean, these two teams are going to play very different styles. And I think it's just too individualistic for Portugal and too frustrated for Portugal if they get frustrated against Argentina. So we have three different winners. I've got Brazil, Phil's got Portugal, and Jared has got Argentina. Um, two South American teams, one European team. Um, we'll round out our, our World Cup discussion. I'll just ask you guys two basic questions. Number one, who do you think is going to get player of the tournament? And number two, who is the player that you're most looking forward to seeing on this field? Um, in, in Qatar. Um, it can be 
it can be messy. It can be a player that you think has flown under the radar that could make some noise in the group stage and then get knocked out. Anyone. Um, so I'll start with you, Jared, with your um, your player of the tournament pick. Player of the tournament? I can't pick one. I'd go with someone in Portugal because I have them going as far as they do. I don't think Ronaldo scores a bunch. I don't think Jal Felix scores a bunch. I would look to a guy like Bernardo Silva or someone that can really be a guy that maybe doesn't win the Golden Boot or whatever. I'm not sure how the Golden Boot versus player of the tournament pans out, but he could be a guy that literally just facilitates every single attack for that team. I mean, every single Manchester City midfielder is just so under the radar because they produce the same stats everyone else does, but then they play three times less the amount of games because they all get rotated out. Like, I would hate playing for Man City because of that. But um, that's besides the point. I think Bernardo Silva could be that guy. Um, but as far as a player to watch, I kind of mentioned him earlier. And I'll drop him again because I've always loved watching him. And I'm really excited to see the fact that he finally gets his chance. Because personally, I think he should have been starting in the Euros over Calvin Phillips and other players that they had playing midfield. And of course, that is Jude Bellingham. I think he's going to be one of the most exciting players of the tournament. I think he'll be the biggest surprise for England. Why haven't we been playing him for so long? You would have been playing him when he was 17 years old, starting for the senior team. That's how crazy it is to have a guy of his talent, his maturity, and really his poise that he has on the ball. If you watch him, the biggest thing about Jude Bellingham is he knows how to utilize his first touch. He can break between the lines with a touch. He can break between the lines with a pass. And that's going to change the rigidity of England, if it does anything to help them at all. Um, I think he will be one of the most buzzing players to watch in the tournament. Bill, what about you? Hmm. Uh, first of all, those are two great shouts. But for the sake of originality, I'll modify my answer a little bit. I think... If Brazil can get to the semifinal and maybe even the final, I'm going to say probably Neymar as a, a standout player at the tournament. Um, he's been in form and he's got a real chance to shine with this squad. Um, in terms of excitement, uh, it's hard to choose from. Um, I'm going to say probably Rafael Leal because mm. there's a lot of hype surrounding him. I'm on that hype train. Uh, but you know, I want to see that at the international level. And of course, you know, of course, this isn't just any international competition, but you know, that, that carries it with more weight, uh, if he can really show up in Qatar. Um, but I, I'd say probably close second to him, if not Jude Bellingham, probably Cody Gakpo. I don't know how far the Netherlands go, but I, I would love to see some individual brilliance from him on the world's biggest stage. So Phil took mine. Both of them. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna go with Neymar and and uh, Rafael Leal. Gotcha. Because I am very, I am very excited to see um, Leal play. I don't really get to watch much Serie A, um, and I know a lot of Arsenal fans are very, very big on Rafael Leal, no matter how outlandish that transfer may be. But <laughs> well, I don't know if you I'll, keep friggin' winning games in the Premier League, maybe that. then I'm sure I'm I'll, I'll, I'll turn I'll, into I'll, Arsenal. It's some BS. I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back to Arsenal in a second, but we'll go with <laughs> with Brazil. Obviously, Neymar's a massive shout, but I think Lucas Paqueta is going to be so important to that team. Similarly, to how Jared was saying that the Bernardo Silva is that kind of guy that um, 
delivers uh, so much for his club. If that, you go all the way back to 2010, it's like an Iniesta to David Villa. How yeah. he became the goal scorer of the tournament, but Iniesta is probably one of the most important players of that run. Yes, and I think even I mean even if Neymar ends up scoring a lot of goals, I think he will end up creating a lot too. That's just how Neymar is. But if I'm gonna again, like Phil said, for the sake of originality, I will toss out Paqueta as as a shout. Um, England are my runner-up, so um, as a shout for um, England player of the tournament, I'm gonna toss out Bellingham or Rice as as those guys. Uh, I think. A rice, a rice Bellingham midfield is going to be really, really imposing. Um, for players I'm excited to watch, this is where I'll bring it back to Arsenal. I watch them play week in and week out, but I cannot wait to see Gabriel Martinelli and Bukayo Saka play. Um, Saka especially is going to get starts for England, um, hopefully. I mean, he has been the right-wing starter for uh, England through the Euros as well. Um, he deserves to be starting out there. The front three for England is still, we don't know if it's going to be Foden or Sterling out on that left side, but Kane and Saka are probably two out of the three first names on that team sheet. Um, I watch them play every week, every couple days, uh, but I still can't wait to see them play. Martinelli may not get as much playing time, but I feel that Gabriel Martinelli is going to be a big factor off the bench for Brazil, especially if they might be struggling against a team like Serbia or Switzerland in the group stages and maybe need something in a pinch. Those two guys are who I'm looking forward to. Um, in addition to all the guys you said, Rafa Leao, Cody Gakpo, Jude Bellingham, very excited to see all of those guys play. So that will round out our almost two hour long world cup preview. Now, um, thank you guys so much for joining us, Phil and Jared, um, plug yourself if you want Twitter's if, Again, if that's still a thing <laughs> yeah, by the time one, I upload this that's episode. A good one. I've, I've been monitoring this for a little bit. I don't know what is going on. But yeah, uh, on Twitter, at philipgalati4. If that dies, I'm on Instagram, at phil.310. Uh, hope to be back on here soon. It was a long one, but a fun one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the Twitter thing's wild. Um, <laughs> but I'm... Uniform on all platforms that I exist on. So at Jared Johnston TV, even though I don't just do TV, um, it's very faux that way. But always like to talk soccer and we're glad to join this, obviously. Um, Phil and I and Arjun and everyone on campus, I feel like we all know who the soccer people are. So, yep, we um, do. It's very. It was very cool to actually get this opportunity to uh, come together and blend our, our knowledge and... Uh, we're going to have to get a uh, watch in the World Cup at some point, too. Yeah, absolutely. We can uh, have a little watch party. And uh, on behalf of Kyle as well, I'm sure Kyle would have absolutely loved to be in this discussion. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this World Cup preview episode. Kyle and I are going to have continuing coverage throughout the World Cup after every group match day. Uh, We're going to try and have episodes up for you. Um after match days one, two, and three, and after every knockout round, we're going to try and have recaps up for you. And, again, if Twitter is still a thing, we're going to have continuing live tweeting, live coverage on there. And um, if not, then we will figure out another way to get our thoughts out there on the World Cup. But, again, thank you so much for joining us. This, this talk has just made me so much more excited for the World Cup, so much more excited to see how how things pan out. And 
um, if our predictions pan out. And I think it'll be even more interesting if they don't, because who loves there's nothing more that's better than um, unpredictability in, in these tournaments. So thank you all so much for sticking with us. Um, be sure to stick with us through the World Cup for continuing coverage on behalf of Kyle, Philip and Jared. I'm Arjun. Thank you all so much.